Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, uh, the bye week has come and gone. Uh, no changes have been made to the coaching personnel, but I mean, to be to be fair, I I mean I was on record saying I didn't think anything was going to happen last week, and nothing did happen last week. Um, you know, I, I think we're all three of us are confident that there will be changes made after the season is over, as far as the coordinators go. Uh, you know, so what happens between now and then, I I, I don't think is going to matter in terms of changes that are going to need to be made. So, you know, it's kind of as as we look ahead this weekend to a Maryland team, which, you know, has some question marks, but also has a lot of firepower under the hood. It's just a matter of can they put it all together? What what are we thinking going into this weekend? I mean, like, how, how do we proceed as a fan base, as a as a podcast? You know, I, I've been struggling with that all week. It's like, how do we... How do we think about, like, how do we get excited for this weekend's game? How do we get excited for the rest of the year, knowing that the season is going nowhere and, you know, without spiraling into this, like, whirlpool of pain? Well, it's, so, it's funny you talk about that, and it's funny you talk about the the whole coordinator thing. Because, like you said, we weren't really expecting anything to happen. But then, at the same time, the fact that nothing did happen just stoked that fire a little bit more disappointed still disappointed (laughs) exactly and the i think one of the ways you can measure it is fitz made a comment in his presser this week that he's like this time of the year is nirvana for diehard college football fans and i was like we've been talking to a lot of diehard college football fans and nirvana definitely is the right word moody sarcastic just forlorn yeah exactly everyone's like, getting their, it, it, it works everyone's getting their flannels out it's getting cold here in the Chicago <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah and so much flannel exactly um yeah and i think we were kind of talking about this and and vis-a-vis maryland and everything because as you kind of alluded to maryland's suddenly has a big shakeup, or or at least it seems like it's possible, at least relative to our game, which is uh, Talia Tagovailoa went down with a serious knee injury in the game. I mean, so serious. He left on the cart. We all, I mean, I thought that he was just done for the season. It's the kind of injury that that's how it looked. They said he had an existing MCL sprain. He re-aggravated it, and it's a game-time decision. Um, so I, I I think you know, and what I what I saw, I saw Mike Loxley talking about that today, and he was saying you know thank goodness his knee brace was on, like he was wearing the knee brace to protect from the uh, from the previous injury. So the injury that he did get uh, this past weekend wasn't more severe because that brace was in place. So right, and I think <clears throat> then there's the this becomes a jumping off point to so many things, right? Um, one being the fact that. I mean, A, if you look at it from Maryland's perspective, and we were talking about this on Twitter today, if you kind of step outside of the Northwestern of it, Maryland still has a lot of meat left on the bone of their schedule. They play Ohio State. They play Penn State. I believe Penn State's on the road. And then they have to go to Camp Randall, too. 
And this week they play Northwestern, and they are a good team. So I almost look at, from their perspective and being like, if they're saying game time decision, and I think, you know, we were talking about it today, it's quite possible that they may just, at the worst, have a break glass situation with him and be like, look, we we can, let's put him on the bench. And if we need him, we need him. And if we don't, we don't, because we've got a lot of tougher games that we're going to need him for. That's part of it. And the other part of it too, is I'm like, I mean, Lordy, like I'm still, it was awful when he went down in the game. It was a horrible situation. And I, I, I mean, I'm amazed and happy for him that he's coming back from that because he's one of the Big Ten's best players. But then there's the the whole other piece, and this is the part that dovetails in with everything that Sam was saying earlier and the whole thing about the fan base and this Nirvana thing and, and everything is in the moment when it happened, we were, wa- we were all watching football. And I think the we immediately looked and we were like, this changes the complexion of the game. And immediately the response of Northwestern fan base was um, kind of like, A, it was like, A, there was a a big portion that was like, it won't make a difference. Why are you even bringing it up? They'll still throttle us one way or another. If you think we still have a chance just because Talia Tagovailoa is out, um, then you guys are fools. And then the other part that is you know it's one of those it's one of those things it's like the place you hope no fan base ever gets to but there's the other piece that's like honestly I want us to go 1 and 11 at this point because I that's the only way I feel like changes are going to be made and that's those are the two things that we were hearing which I can't say it was shocking to hear those things bracing certainly but it certainly has the effect of kind of coloring the entire way that we look at this Maryland game yeah, the latter of those two things is something we heard back in 2019 as well, right? When it was like, what? Do, how how bad does this team need to get to finally fire Mick? And uh, I think, I'll be honest, I don't I don't think we're in the same situation this year. I think we've got a different athletic director in a different stage of his career with just different aspirations and objectives and goals for the school. Um, the, you know, the skinny we've heard from. Certainly not anybody in the athletic office, but um, from you know folks that we talk to who are uh, who are we'll say close to, close to people in the program. Maybe I don't know, like connected. Yeah, I don't like. It's not like we have some you know um, Illuminati you know set of sources here or whatnot. But this is like I mean, speak for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> I do not. Uh, but yeah, that like the skinny is that Greg is is feeling much in the way that that us and the fan base are and, and that you can't, you know, allow things to get this bad. You have to address them. You have to hold uh, coaches accountable. If you don't like much like in, in any business that anybody listening to this podcast works in, if you don't hold employees or managers or whomever accountable um, partners, suppliers, etc., like you're going to lose employees. Your business is going to take a turn downturn and go for the, for the worse. And that's what's happening with Northwestern football right now. I think, I really think it's that simple. Um, Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but, you know, Greg's no dummy. He, he came to Northwestern um, to I, I, maybe put a cap on his career. I don't know. He's, he's worked in a lot of different places. This is the most prestigious. He's got fantastic opportunity um, to build on the uh, the resources and the footprint and the commitment from the university. And he doesn't want to see this flagship football program mired in, in mediocrity. Um, 
and let's not forget the eight hundred million dollar elephant. Yeah, room. exactly. The state, the stadium. I mean, this is this is like, like I I I I realize that the product on the field right now is really bad, and the talking points in the press conferences are galling and frustrating. But um, like, these are not idiots running the Northwestern Athletics. This is big. This is big business college football, right? Like, it ain't it ain't Ohio State, it ain't Alabama, it ain't Oklahoma, but um changes will be made like uh, like i you know i virtually I, for whatever it means i guarantee it right um but that being said like i, I don't think we need to go one and eleven like i think every northwestern fan root for what you want to root for i'm going to feel comfortable rooting for them to win and perform well i want to see the young guys uh get an opportunity i'd love to see brandon Sullivan get an opportunity i'd love to see uh a I don't want to see Talia Tonga Vailoa hurt, certainly, but I'd love to see no, no. a backup quarterback from Maryland while he while he gets right, um, come out and have to battle against Northwestern and, and struggle to do so. I think that would be great. That would make my Saturday more enjoyable. So that's what I'm gonna root for. Yeah, I agree. And you know, this the the one and eleven thing, I mean, it's funny. Some people were even taking it a full step farther and being like, I'll go even farther and say that I'm not even sure one and eleven will be enough for Fitz to make changes. And I can, it's like, I can answer that question for you. No, it's not. One in 11 is not enough for Fitz to make changes. <laughs> but reinforcing what Scuzz said, Derek Gregg is the one that we're all looking at here, right? And and I, I second everything Scuzz said in that department. Then there's the separate discussion about the idea of rooting for a finish like that in and of itself. And on one hand, I am not going to be sanctimonious and climb up in some ivory tower and say, this is a thing that can never happen. It's a disgusting thing for college football fans, to, you know, a road to go down. I mean, the truth and the horrible the horrible reality, right, is that I think every fan has their own breaking point. I mean, you, you could look at basketball as, as an example, right, that I think you can go back several seasons and see like Northwestern basketball fans reaching a point where it's like, the only way up is down at this point until a change is made. And it's a horrible place to, to be. And I think at one point we can acknowledge, look, there's a point where a lot of fans reach where they understand and they believe that. And on the flip side, just understanding it is the worst possible place to reach. Not because not just because of the personal apathy you feel as a fan, but because this is college sports and there are a ton of kids on these teams that we love and some of them that we know, some of them, their families, you know, we know a little bit that they are great kids, great families, lest we remind ourselves for the millionth time, they ain't getting paid to do this, right? And they're giving it their absolute all. And you just, it's, it just is that much thing where it's like, you don't ever want to be in a situation where you're rooting like this. And I think the three of us are not there. And I don't think even now we're like close to that point. Like we expect changes to be made. We want to see wins on the field. We want to see these guys succeed. But I'm also not about to look down from some ivory tower and be like anyone who's feeling that way. Like, you know, you guys are fools because I get it. Um, the other thing, though, that I did want to address, though, is the other piece of it. The piece specifically pertaining to Talia Tagovailoa and, uh, and some of the people's reaction where – I was thinking of a specific movie, um, The Departed. And there's a scene in The Departed where 
Leonardo DiCaprio has first, you know, he's been set up to try to ingratiate himself to get into the Irish mob. And, and he, he meets Jack Nicholson for the first time. And Jack Nicholson is going through the motions of trying to pay compliments to Leonardo DiCaprio's family. And Leonardo DiCaprio just keeps repeatedly taking offense to it. Uh, and for no reason. And there's the part where Jack Nicholson is like, uh, your father, there's a man who could have been anything. And Leonardo DiCaprio is immediately like, are you saying he was nothing? And Jack Nicholson throws up his hands and goes, I'm saying he worked at the airport. That's how I was feeling when I was like, Talia's going down. This is going to change everything for Maryland. And everyone's like, you're like, you are just drunk if you think we have a chance in this game. And I'm just like, I'm saying he worked at the airport. Okay, that's all I'm saying. He's like fifth in the nation in yards. He's top five in the nation in completion percentage. He's like two thirds of their offense. Well, he's I, one of the be- and he's one of the best players in the conference. The, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I I think I think sometimes the three of us are unsurprisingly more dialed in than others, especially in a season like this. I think there's a lot of people that didn't realize Talia had gone down. You know, there's a couple of folks we saw. There's there's one. Uh, uh, friend of the pod who who made made a comment and then immediately responded like like kind of like guys what's what's wrong with you maryland's good and very quickly <laughs> responded like oh just kidding talia is out and that like exactly so like like he's right he's incredible we it, talked about coming into the season he's like probably the number two well at this stage well i guess i guess you got to give o'connell the number two slot but the number you know three qb in the conference um in this season and he's I mean, if you if you drink the cj stroud kool-aid which I, I let me just interject something really quickly about the cj stroud kool-aid someone on twitter posted a video and the title of the video was cj stroud has 24 passing touchdowns this season here's what those 24 look like and then ran all the <laughs> clips and i'm watching it going Exactly. This is exactly what I'm. And then I realized bubble halfway screen, through out, it was slant at out, the, bubble and screen. Then, and and then I realized halfway through that it was unironically posted by an Ohio State fan. And I was like, "Oh dear God." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Well, yeah. I mean, the reality is, like, Talia Tungavailoa is not only is he really good at quarterbacking, he is the heartbeat of Maryland, like this is the opposite of Stroud, who is surrounded by excellence, has has an incredible receiver core, an amazing offensive line, maybe the best running back, um, well, second best running back in the Big Ten. I'm going to give it to Blake Corm right now. Um, Tonga Valoa is is especially adept at spreading the ball around and and lever- leveraging what defenses are giving him. I mean, this guy is going to be an excellent excellent professional football player because he can do full field reads like you look at the top receivers of maryland right now there are five guys with between 20 and 25 catches that their leading receivers all have there are five of them 20 to 25 receptions what does that tell you the tonga valoa is exceptional at getting his receivers involved and spreading the ball around and that that includes rakeem jarrett it 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 includes um jershon jones like their tight end. I think they're, they're running back. Like, like this guy is really good at not only understanding the defense, but then making his reads, making accurate throws, getting everybody involved. And it makes their offense really, really good. And he is probably not going to play and you cannot replace that. 
That is something right. that, that gets developed with time. We saw Tonga Vailoa firsthand, all of us did, in his very first game for Maryland. And you could see the talent and the athleticism and the arm. And you could also see that it was his first game in college football, and it did not go well. And we're here three years later. Yeah. He's a completely different player. And without him, Maryland is a completely different team. Yeah, I mean, Bill, so Billy Edwards uh, came in in relief, um, you know, and just they won the game. I mean, they, they did win and they won the game. Congratulations to them. But, uh, you know, it, it definitely was a different dynamic. And, you know, a, a lot of people will say, you know, does that matter against Northwestern? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, the what we'll see on the field from Maryland's offense will be different if it's not Tonga Valoa. So I want to emphasize, because I think, like, John's looked at the tape and is going to tell you exactly what Maryland's offense is probably going to look like. But you've got to understand that, so Billy, Billy Edwards basically came in and ran for, for 53 yards. He averaged 10 yards per carry. He ripped off one big 31-yarder, um, scored two touchdowns to bring Maryland back. He didn't score them, but... Uh, uh, led Maryland on two touchdown drives um, for them to be able to, to come back in this game and win. Now, Indiana also fumbled away uh, a drive. Um, otherwise, you know, I think they would have kept they would have kept just trading points. But the point being is he, he came in, he looked good. But here's the thing. <laughs> Billy, Billy, Billy Edwards is like a pro-style QB who went over three passing in this game. Um, and torched Indiana with his legs. Indiana did not prepare for anything that Billy Edwards showed them. They prepared for Talia Tungavaloa. That is a dramatic switch uh, in the middle of the game with a team that already has a bad defense. So I just like, it's important. It's important to emphasize that was the environment in which Edwards had a lot of success coming into game two. There's some tape. I like coming off a, a, a bye. the defense should have had plenty of time to to be prepared. Yes, insert all of Get your healthy, John, hopefully. insert all of your John O'Neill commentary here. Like, yes, I realize he's still the defensive coordinator, and what you know, like, much like Scott Frost is worth minus two wins to Nebraska. Like John O'Neill is worth like <laughs> so, Jim O'Neill. Jim O'Neill, I always do that. Jim O'Neill is worth some sort of like mi- minus you know X number of yards given up uh, uh, for Northwestern. So. Um, but the point being, like, it's a it, it it is a very different dynamic that we're going into on Saturday. I still think it's an uphill battle for Northwestern, honestly, uh, yeah, because we just haven't seen the consistency on the offensive side to take advantage of this. But regardless, like, it could be a mud fight. Yeah, I mean, I'll there, I'll, I'll I'll work around to like the at least at the in the moment optimism or some shred of optimism that I was kind of feeling. Um, that, that, that Northwestern nation resoundingly stomped on, but the, I think the, the first part of it is, and this is that, that zooming out. And this is the piece behind everything Scuzz was saying about Tagovailoa individually. <clears throat> we make those comparisons with CJ Stroud because as, as despite what anyone else almost in the country has to work with on their offense. Then there's CJ, what CJ Stroud has, which is a whole order of magnitude well beyond anybody else. But Maryland's offense under Tagovailoa, the easiest way to explain what their ceiling is, is when Maryland's clicking on offense, they're effectively Ohio State. They have talent at every single position, and it's real good talent. 
and that includes the offensive line. They're just a sweet offense. I mean, they really are. They and when they're cooking, their backs averaging are they have two backs that are averaging over six yards a carry, but they're primarily a throwing team, but they still run a lot, which is another way of saying they tend to pile up yards. Um, and this was all what I was thinking in the background is like secretly, I've kind of been or not so secretly because I think I've mentioned it on the pod a couple times. I've been circling this Maryland game forever, being like the defensive chickens come home to roost in this game because this team like. It's not like Wisconsin, but they've been like working out some stuff. Maryland's capable of being a steamroller on offense any way they want to be. Um, so that's that was what I was thinking. And I was like, you take tag of low out of that. And just like Scott said, it does change things. Now, I watched the full highlights a couple of times of this Maryland-Indiana game. And first of all, the Indiana piece of it offensively, wow, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. Like this team had 33 points against Maryland. Those 33 points were a miracle. They had two drives basically operated on gadget plays, like double reverses. Um, They had another one that was just a total broken play that Basilek somehow found a running back and they got it. And then on their final drive, the drive that got them the points that got them to 33, they caught two tipped passes on that drive. And that was also an end of the game drive. So Indiana was, you know, living by miracle. But, you know, you could be saying, look, we need the exact same kind of luck if we want to score against this defense. Um the flip side is Maryland is, so they're not the least talented defense in the conference. They're not an exceptionally talented defense, but they are very undisciplined and they make a lot of mistakes. They commit penalties. They blow coverages. It's that kind of defense. Maryland has not been a good defensive team for years, and this is no exception. They're not horrible, but they're easily the worst defense we play in the back half of the season. So that's good. So you kind of table that and be like, all right, so yeah, Brendan Sullivan, if Brendan Sullivan, you know, if we make the move to Brendan Sullivan, right? Um, And Mike Bajakin has any designs at not being one of the guys canned at the end of the season, it would start with putting a dynamic quarterback on the field who's going to show something new. I mean, I'll tell you, talking about the way Indiana wasn't able to adjust when Billy Wilder came in, well... Connor Bazelak and Ryan Holinsky are the exact same type of quarterback. So if you put in Holinsky, Maryland's going to see the exact same kind of looks that they saw in that game. And Brennan Sullivan's a totally different animal. Um, and we saw that in the Wisconsin game. So there's that piece of it. <clears throat> the That is kind of where I was feeling um, positive because you can fold this in. And again, it's like this is the narrative I was trying to build. And I know so many of you st- stamped on it on Twitter. I'm trying to build it. Partly because I just want to build. I want something. I want something for a week. Look, if yeah, Maryland, I mean, like what if, if, yeah. if we're not if we're not cheering for this team, what are we doing? Yeah, look, you know? if Maryland like, if if Maryland hangs six hangs sixty three on us and we get blown out, and then at the end of the day, this is you know this read on things is wrong. Then whatever, we can go right back to it next week. But I'm just trying to construct something. If it's a house of cards, it's a house of cards. But my idea is like so like we'll get into the the big problem with this reasoning relative to Maryland's offense in a second. But what if Billy Edwards is bad? And what if Brendan Sullivan is great? Uh, And I don't feel like anything in the Wisconsin game happened to throw water on the fact that Brendan Sullivan could be great. I don't think like anything happened in that game. Um, Like we don't know. And the whole idea of like it was neck and neck in practice. Like, are you, are, do you need more evidence that Pat Fitzgerald's not the greatest at calibrating practice value relative to game value? Is that something you need more evidence of at this point? Brendan Sullivan could be awesome <laughs> for all we know, right? 
So, like, first of all, let let the kid cook and let's see against this defense. And in some situation where Billy Edwards ends up being really bad and Brendan Sullivan ends up being really good, and those are the two guys who play the entirety of this game, and then there is some miracle situation, then suddenly you would have a win with Brendan Sullivan and then you'd be facing crappy Iowa the week after. So I'm like, that's, you know, look, this all might fall apart. I'm just saying, like, that's a road you could try to put together. Um, the problem with all this, the biggest problem as I see is, like I was saying, Maryland, and or like, like Scuzz was saying, Maryland's capable of being this absolute monster on offense at every facet of the game. And what you saw was this change that they made when Edwards came in. But the important thing is that was basically with a full fourth quarter left to play in the game in a in a close ball game. And Indiana is against the run, they're probably just as bad as we are. Against the pass, they're better because their defense is schemed that way. And they have Taiwan Mullen and the ability to bring crazy pressure. And honestly, they were giving Talia some headaches early in the game. But Maryland is one of those teams, Ohio State is kind of like this too, where you're like, they have talent everywhere, and it's almost like, what do they choose to do the most? Well, they ran exclusively when Edwards came in, and they plowed Indiana. I mean, plowed them. Edwards had a bunch of yards, but I mean, Roman Hemby's awesome. Billy Edwards Jr. is awesome. Uh, I mean, Billy Edwards Jr. is good, but Littleton at running back is awesome. Like, these are good backs behind a good line. They're going to work a lot of read option. They're going to try catch and run stuff, and they're going to try to throw long bombs a couple of times, but mostly they're probably just going to try to destroy us on the ground. Um, And they have two running backs who are averaging over six yards a carry on the season. Like, odds of them pulling this off are really strong. It's just, Edwards didn't complete a pass in this game. He's... A guy, I think he originally signed with like an FCS team or a no, small no, team. No, no, Wake And then Forest. Wake Forest. Well, he initially, I think he committed to a team and then decommitted and then went to Wake Forest and then transferred out of Wake Forest oh, after yeah, one yeah. year yeah, yeah. to he, Maryland. He, he, yeah, he committed to Old Old Dominion originally uh, in the summer the summer before uh, his senior year and then switched to Wake Forest midway through senior year. Was there for at least a couple of years before transferring. Yeah, so, I mean, he's really the tires have not been kicked on this guy too much. And what we saw in this game, he's super athletic. He can run. He can run, and he's big. And they, they have a good line. Like, I, there's no good news here. But the I think if you're looking for a path, it's something like Brendan Sullivan comes out and is just special. And this is not a good defense, and he just seizes the moment, right? And we come out of this being like, well, now, right? And then Billy Edwards Jr. maybe throws a, you know, throws a bad pick, puts a ball on the deck, or, I mean, and this is the much longer shot, this switch to a total run-based attack somehow screws with the dynamic of this team and makes them less effective at doing it. I'm not, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying this is where I choose to hang my hat, just like Sam said. Cost us nothing. I'm choosing to hang my hat that, that we start Brendan Sullivan and he shows us something special and something goes wrong with Billy Edwards and and somehow we find a path here. Yeah, I mean, it you know, there's 
I mean, we, we we're talking about this, and like you know, you talk about their running attack, and you, you know, we've spoken at nauseum about our lack of size on the defensive line, and like you know, could we go through position by position on our defense and say how how rough everything is? Sure, but we don't need to relitigate that. I think at this point, you know, we we need to just go into this weekend, see that there there are parts of Maryland that are flawed. And, you know, we knew their defense was flawed going in. Now, is our offense good enough to do anything with that? Who knows? Um, will it be Helinski or Sullivan behind center? Who knows? Um, you know, th- there's still so many questions, and obviously we're not going to get any answers until uh, 2.30 Central on Saturday afternoon. But, uh, you know, we're looking at this, and we're kind of saying, okay, what would need to happen for us to, you know, come out of here with either a win or a good showing. And, you know, at this point, is a good showing enough? I mean, maybe. I mean, we've had some bad showings this year. And, I, you know, I, for one, just want to see this team play well. You know, I want to see things click. I want to see things come together. And I think that, you know, with the flaws that we've seen in Maryland, none of us are saying, like, yes, Northwestern is absolutely going to win this game because we're not idiots. But, you know, we could see some things, we could see some good things coming this weekend. Just just like the uh, the Rutgers game last year, right? I mean, that was far and away Helinski's best game. Um, the offense, you know, if I recall correctly, like, reduced their, their errors. There, there wasn't a lot of shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, and it's because they're up against a defense that didn't stress them or press them uh, as much as some of the previous ones had. And so... You know, coming off of a bye, you'd like to think that the team is rested, maybe a little healthier. You'd like to think you get a couple guys back. You'd like to think that they've got a nice um, game plan in place. I'm not going to hold my breath on that one because we've we've seen that story before not go so well. But um, I think if you're looking for a for an, uh, a, a similar situation, I think Rutgers on the road last year is a good one to to comp. Um, and the Cats won that one going away. And uh, we'll just have to see how things go this Saturday. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. So yeah, I, I mean, I do want to move on, um, you know, without having a, a game last week. There was some amazing college football happening last week. Um, I, I don't want to go through all of it because, you know, it's been talked about, you know, ad nauseum. But man, that Alabama-Tennessee game was fun. Yeah, on the on the upside, unbelievable Alabama Tennessee game, an all timer. Um, and for for that rivalry, I mean, it's good to just see Tennessee be good again. I mean, I God, I can't remember. Well, there was that Ca- time they count- absolutely destroyed us in a bowl yeah, game. Hush you, hush Ca- you. Counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, um, and then counterpoint. Every FBS team we've played this season lost on Saturday. Uh, and a couple of those games were close, and a couple of those games were to good teams. But still, we're one in five. 
And the only one of our opponents that won on Saturday was our FCS opponent who beat us. Southern Illinois beat Western Illinois over the weekend. So that's pretty rough. I mean, I would add to that, I think, um, for anyone who watched the Michigan-Penn State game, and Scuzz was someone who's kind of been on this, but Penn State's O-line was just exposed in that game. And that was a game that miraculously was 14-13 Penn State at a point, and it felt like Penn State had no business being in that game, and it's because they didn't. And that's exactly what happened down the stretch. So um, I think it was, I think a lot of the pecking order of the conference kind of started to shake out. Hey, uh, Nebraska didn't look too bad, losing to Purdue only by six. Um, I had, I had, cast a lot of dispersion on the idea that that they should be two touchdown uh, underdogs in that game I like I I still contend Nebraska is not as bad as they looked in those first few weeks the you know the waning uh, of the Scott Frost era um definitely got that Wisconsin Michigan State game wrong though holy cow oh like, yeah Spartans oh, win double OT um pretty surprising uh frankly to see I mean like it it, it does underscore the situation in Wisconsin and they've clearly had, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think we've talked about this on the pod because I think um, the news came out right after our, our game and we didn't really talk, get into it last week. But one of the things that came up in the, in the wake of Paul Chris getting fired is that for like nine months, Wisconsin didn't have a recruiting department. Yeah, that was rough. And there's this story. There's a story in the Athletic that talked about uh, about that and about this this kid from I think Whitewater, Wisconsin. Or no, no, he was from he's from the Chicago suburbs. The kid from the Chicago suburbs uh, came up to visit Wisconsin. Um, r- r- like, it wanted to go there. Probably would have gone there. Um, they didn't even know he was coming. They didn't know his. They didn't know his name. They didn't know who he was. Nobody even talked to him. Um, that dude is contributing as a true freshman at Michigan as a, as a linebacker and on special teams. And so like that just underscores like, like Wisconsin really lost something in the way that, that they operate. And that has, that has ramifications. And I think, you know, you, you, I think we, we talked about at the beginning of the season, like their defense, Jim Leonard has been, that's been like unassailable, but you've just seen some weird stuff happen with the offense. Like, 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 they, they they were really bad in like one and two yard situations on third and fourth down last year. Like that's the antithesis of everything we know about Wisconsin over the past, you know, forever. So um, I just like, there's some, there's some holes in that program that they need to, to sort out over the, uh, over the next, you know, 10 months before next season. Um, Cause it, it, it looks like they're pretty much out of the running for anything big this year. Well, and while we're talking about the West, we would be remiss if we didn't mention oh, that boy. It, a pretty clear favorite has emerged in the West. So you know this one, one for sure, and then the uh, there's I think a pretty clear second place as well. See so you know what this really this really reminds me of the 2001 season when we were, um, you know, we were coming back after 2000. We thought we were hot shit, and. Um, you know, obviously things fell apart for Northwestern in a lot of different ways. And good old Kurt Kittner and Illinois went on to win the, the, the Big Ten, go to the Rose Bowl. Um, I don't know if they won the Big Ten or if they tied or whatever, but they ended up in the Rose Bowl. And uh, 
it just it stings the nostrils when when you see the Illini doing well. I like I'll both my parents went there. Thank God they're they're not Illinois fans. Uh, many many of you over the years have met my dad who shows up to to the annual Minnesota Northwestern game in full gopher attire. Um, but it still it still hurts to see our rival having this kind of season. But they are they're awesome, folks. Um, they are. They're just a great football team. I don't. Yeah. I mean they their defense is incredible. And they have a really clear identity. DeVito's not great, but they don't run the team through him. It's Chase Brown's team, yep. and they they work around him, and they are pretty good at everything. And yeah, and then I guess our one A would probably be Purdue at this point, right? Who that that's that's what they I was were. Thinking. Yeah, I that, mean honestly, that, that matchup is going to be pretty cool. And Purdue Illinois and, coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, and at the beginning of the season, Purdue looked like kind of one of the more snake bit teams in the country, where like. FPI loved them. Um, advanced metrics loved them, even when they were losing football games. I mean, they they took Penn State right down to the wire. They should they should have beat Penn State. Yeah, they, they they got they got really. I don't want to say unlucky. Like Penn State receivers picked up a gargantuan amount of yardage after the catch in that game, and that didn't have to happen. Yeah, and then and, and then they also lost that really close game. You know, in Syracuse to an undefe- right. undefeated Syracuse. <laughs> I mean, Syracuse is like legit. Yeah, 14th in the nation, right? So, yeah, yeah those are two good football teams that uh, we will close out the season with. So, but again, let's let's put that in the pa- let's let's put that aside. We're right now it's Maryland and then Iowa, but uh, but yeah, those are those are two good teams. Uh, so speaking of Iowa, this weekend um, Iowa is at Ohio State. Uh, that's going to be fascinating it's just insofar as, you know, how will Iowa's defense hold up to the talent that Ohio State has on offense? I, my hunch is not well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this is a, this is another game that might be close at half and will not be close at the final whistle because how will it be close at half? I was not scoring, yeah. but that's, uh, but, but their, their defense has got a half in them where they, you know, they play out of their mind. They kind of contain Ohio state enough, maybe get a turnover, maybe get a score on a short field. Um, like, like the four, like 14, 13 that, or it's what was 16, 14 and a half for Michigan, Penn state. Same I just, sort of deal. I you, you think Iowa can score fourteen points? I'm just like I'm just yeah, like yeah I do I do I'm just if you take this Ohio State offense and you put them on their opponent's side of the fifty for an entire game, which is where they're going to be that's, starting. That's most, the problem. Most yeah. drives. I don't know. Like I don't know that an NFL defense can hold them out forever. And that's the thing is is everyone remember Ohio State tends to not be a good defense, but their D line is awesome. And that D line against the Iowa offensive line, like hide your children. Like this, this one's going to get rough. Uh, also at eleven o'clock, you've got Indiana at Rutgers. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, look away, folks. Look uh, away. The, the, the less said about that, the better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you've got Purdue at Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin, a two-point home favorite against uh, a Purdue team that, uh, like we said, is really hitting on all cylinders. I so, mean, they gave up 37 points to Nebraska last week, so I don't know that you can say they're hitting on all cylinders. I'm mean, like, okay, I, fair, I'm, fair. I'm pretty, I'm of the opinion that I'm still of the opinion that Purdue is not amazing. Um, I think Illinois is much better than them right now. Um, that being said, like they've they've put together like I I think 
I think the, the crazy stat is that Charlie Jones, the receiver who transferred to Purdue from Iowa, has more touchdowns for Purdue this year than Iowa has touchdowns. Yeah. The <laughs> he caught he caught twelve balls for 102, 132 yards and two scores against Nebraska. But here's the other thing, like Purdue gave up Trey Palmer, you you'll remember from our opening our opening week, had seven receptions for two hundred and thirty seven <laughs> yards yeah. against Purdue. Yeah, they wasted um, an all time day. Yeah, now now Nebraska still can't run against Purdue. They shut down Minnesota somehow. Like I don't know where they found a run defense, but um my God, it's impressive, and I wish we were drinking what they were drinking. Um, but you know that 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 this will be an interesting matchup because if they if they truly can't shut down the run, I think they're going to smoke Wisconsin. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think on the flip side, you may see like Wisconsin's offense may have trouble in this game because Purdue's yeah. D has been. That's one of the most surprising things to me personally this season is Purdue's D has been really good. And Wisconsin still like this is still they have not gotten it done against a good defense this season. So, yeah. and then uh, finally, um, you've got uh, six thirty Central on ABC. You got Minnesota at Penn State. Uh, Tanner Morgan's status is still as of yet unknown. Um, you know, Fleck hasn't said one way or the other. It looked but, bad uh, when he went off. It right? looked bad. It was a concussion. It looked, like it, it was absolutely concussion. Yeah. I mean, he got punched in the head. Yeah, I think and, and you know was was real wobbly. And as as good as Mer- as good as Minnesota looked earlier in this season, <clears throat> and honestly they've had moments recently too. If you take it's pretty clear if you take Ibrahim out of this team or you take Morgan out of this team, things stop working. And you fold in the fact that Illinois was just awesome on defense, and you could still see the flashes. Like Minnesota gets this thing going, where again we've talked about it, the Ibrahim vacuum chamber. Like he they. They really do get him going. And when it does, they just grind and grind and grind. But it's like we've said this forever, and like Illinois was the latest team to prove it. It's like Minnesota's defense is their offense. And if they are having trouble on offense and not grinding and controlling time of possession, that kind of sabotages everything that they're trying to do. So it'll be interesting because Penn State has, you know, let me, we all saw it. A really talented defense overall, but Rundy has been their kind of area of weakness. So we'll see what Minnesota's able to do. But if they don't have Morgan, like it's going to be pretty rough. Yep. Um, any other big games kind of nationally that you guys are kind of keeping in the radar? I'm just sort of looking through the schedule. You've got a couple matchups of top 25 teams, uh, Syracuse at Clemson. Um, that, that could be interesting. I mean, we'll see how legit Syracuse really is um you know they are 14th in the country but uh you know Clemson is five so we shall see Kansas State TCU is interesting um yeah a lot of purple there so you know if you need if you need to get your fix tune into that on uh on Saturday night um Texas Oklahoma State yeah I just I don't I don't don't know guys like I'm 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 struggling to care much about the rest of the country given I mean it kind of goes back to the Nirvana lyrics uh (laughs) and 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 that kind of just sense of malaise like not that I'm you know I've got games on in the background I'm you know I'm I'm enjoying the season certainly but well can I um, well in that vein can I give you one um uh Stanford went out and got a big win last week, right? Like they knocked off, who did they knock off? Um, Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Notre Dame, yeah. Um, and they were, we've been talking on Twitter that they, you know, it's almost eerie statistically the way that their 
situation mirrors ours over the last five years. So, hey, they were one and four and they went and beat Notre Dame. So why not us is what I'm saying. Hey, speaking of mirroring our situation, like, so, you know, everybody knows, like, I've married into a, a heavy Notre Dame family, many of whom were at that game. Um, and the 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 takeaway, takeaway was just like the team had zero energy. So the crowd had zero zero energy. It was just a just a boring game that they lost, which sounds so much like so many, you know, duds that we've seen at Northwestern uh, over the years, and is interesting because, of course, you know what happened immediately after that game is Notre Dame's fall break because they were in the midst of midterms. It just like it's just like I throw it out there just because I think it's very easy to to myopically focus on on the bad stuff we see at Northwestern, but. It certainly happens elsewhere too. Maybe not with the frequency, or the, uh, uh, or uh, and and maybe not without without like more changes that come about as a result of these things. But um, we're not like we're not alone in what we experience, folks. I there's one other one that I'll highlight. Um, on one hand, good, and I know it's good for Sammy. You know, for this being your the team of your youth, right? The Tatankas. Uh, Colorado got off the schneid last week, right? And beat uh, Cal, I think, in overtime. So that's... Yeah, overtime, weird Yeah, game. I mean, overtime, and honestly, it was kind of miraculous that they won. But I bring it up because, on one hand, that's great. Great for Colorado. They were absolutely horrible. But Colorado plays at Oregon State this week. Now, odds are Colorado's going to lose to Oregon State, and they'll probably lose big. Oregon State's pretty good. But if Colorado beats Oregon State and we don't beat Maryland, we're probably going to be the worst team in the Power Five. Now, again, that would have the odds are Colorado is not going to beat Oregon State. But it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't want the ignominy, the, I'm not going to try to pronounce that word again, um, the, <laughs> of, the, of being in shame. that shame of being in that situation. So uh, at least. Colorado, you can do your part by uh, losing to the Beavers. That would help us out. Uh, before we get out of here, um, we do need to shout out uh, some of the other Northwestern programs going on. Um, you know, there's just some really, really good sports happening at Northwestern. And you've got to shout out the cross-country team. Uh, for the first time in 20 years, uh, they are ranked nationally, uh, coming in at 29th in the nation and uh, number two in the entire Midwest. Uh, so what's really, really cool about uh, the, the Northwestern cross-country program is, you know, I think Northwestern is the only uh, top 30 team right now that does not have a track program uh, attached with the, with the school. So, like, Northwestern doesn't have a track and field program. The cross-country is the only running or pure running sport that Northwestern has. And, you know, the rest of the top 30 – their athletes can can you know compete all year round. You know we're we're only running in the fall. Yeah, that is pretty amazing, and it, I'm sure it takes some people back to the old the old setup at Dyke Stadium, right, with the track. Um, when did that go out? Oh yeah. By the way, does anybody? I mean, they they got rid of the track when they uh, you know did the first renovations to Dyke well, they, when Dyke Stadium ended after the. Uh, 1996 year and in 97 they lowered the field got rid of the track and uh but i don't think northwestern had a track and field program even before that but yeah the, tr I mean, the track the track was gone in 97 
it it's it kind of reminds me of the uh, lac- of the lacrosse team disbanded for for years starts up wins the national title you know um a few years later like so, sorry cross country i'm not trying to put that on you just for like it's a it's a really cool story it's a really impressive feat um to uh to to do what they're doing this 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 fall and i think it just roll it into all the other fall sports that are just putting excellence out on the field right now we've talked about field hockey we've talked about soccer we've talked about volleyball a little bit um they're all performing fantastic right now uh, unfortunately soccer who was up to number five in the country did lose to michigan state a really hard-fought game on sunday um but you know there's still a lot of uh, a lot of excitement um some real winners if if you want to get on the bandwagon uh here as we yeah go the, the one that i wanted to highlight for field hockey because i think again we haven't talked about field hockey a ton and certainly not nearly enough considering they're the defending national champions but i think like so many sports you tend to focus on offense and benton beckers and you know just the amazing players that we have maddie zimmer etc on this team but I wanted to focus on Annabelle Skubish, who is our goalie. Uh, she's phenomenal. One of the best in the country. And we put up highlights uh, from their most recent game against Ohio State, which they won 2-1 on the strength of her tying her career high in saves. And she was literally and figuratively standing on her head out there. Um, an unbelievable performance, but she literally just about stood on her head to defend a penalty. Um, and again, what ended up being a two to one game. So awesome performance from her. And, uh, one of the reasons that this is a top three team in the nation right now, John, I shouted when I saw your Gandalf <laughs> tweet, uh, with, with, uh, with the highlight reel of here, I was coming off of the rings of power, uh, finale and, uh, it, uh, hit me right. It hit me yeah, right. She where, was where, in full. You shall not pass mode. Love it Love it, it. Was, uh, it was awesome. Oh, it was amazing. All right, so um, with that, uh, anything else to add before we uh, call it a night? It doesn't cost you anything to have a little hope. That's all I'm saying. Just doesn't – it costs you nothing. If it doesn't work out and this Maryland thing goes totally sideways, we'll just be back in the same place a week from now. So why not? Let's just choose to believe. Let's choose to believe a couple of these things lock into place. Why not? Make some good food. Watch the game, you know? So let's have ourselves a little weekend. Absolutely. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the Westlaw Brian Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey!